So before we get into the text, I need to give you a little bit of background. I started talking a little bit about what's happening with Nehemiah, but just to give you a sense of why they were where they are and what Nehemiah finds whenever we uh, will start in a minute with his story. This takes place uh, after the, the Israelites had been basically punished. If you recall, had once, Israel had once again fallen away and were in rebellion against God. They were worshiping idols, building idols, and sacrificing children, and God warned them repeatedly, as he's done throughout the Bible, that they needed to change, and if not, that he was going to cut them down. And effectively, what happened is God used uh, Babylon as his sword of justice to come in and allow Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar to attack the Israelites and lay siege to Jerusalem. They took everything, they plundered everything, they tore apart the, the temple, and as was prophesied, they were taken captive to Babylon for 70 years before they were able to return. And so the, the city was basically destroyed, and true to his word, 70 years later, Cyrus the Persian defeated the Babylonians and released the Israelites to return to Judah and Jerusalem. And so that happened, but it was actually 120 years later before many of the remnant made their way to Jerusalem finally. And that's what we'll hear Nehemiah talking about, is after that remnant came with Ezra to Jerusalem. So these were some of the prominent families. And you'll see as we get into the text that things were not rosy. They had been allowed to return to Jerusalem, but things were not in repair there. And in fact, we'll see that Nehemiah, I think, provides us a great example of how we need to be prayerful, how we need to be heartbroken over seeing need in God's people, and we need to uh, take opportunity to be a part of his, of his plans moving forward. And so this story of Nebuchadnezzar, or excuse me, of, of Nehemiah takes place about 12 years after that remnant was returned to Jerusalem with Ezra. And so we'll, we'll uh, join me in, in Nehemiah 1, verse 1, and we'll see what it looked like as, as Nehemiah hears of the conditions of those in Judah and, and specifically in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah 1, uh, 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I think it's interesting to note that Nehemiah was moved by the plight and the need of, of his people. Uh, and I think it's also interesting that he didn't just do what we might do today is you know, post on Facebook, you know, looking out for, for Jerusalem, or you know, like someone's post about the plight that's going on in, in Jerusalem. Or, you know, social media, hashtag praying for Jerusalem. He might have done those things, but more importantly, he actually hit his knees. He actually sought God, and he was heartbroken over that need, and he truly asked God to provide deliverance. I think as we think about the situation that we're in, it probably would behoove us to have that same level of commitment and heartbrokenness as we see the need amongst the people in Elgin, which led to our vote. Uh, You know, last week we went out to the property, the 18 acres, and we had our meeting, we voted, and as I talked about earlier, we've been praying for unity, and the vote came back 102 to 1 for moving forward with developing a building campaign, and so it's someday we think 
that God is moving us toward building those walls out at the 18 acres. And so that's a, a great thing that I think uh, shows that, one, God has a plan, and we need to be prayerful with the same level of intensity that we see Nehemiah having for the people uh, that were in Jerusalem. I think it's important to note also that this is not just something that uh, we take lightly. I want to go into reading some of the verses. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want to read uh, in four and some of the read through the prayer that Nehemiah offers because I think there's a lot that we can gain from that as we pray for God's leadership and building, not only of building a physical structure, but also building our ministry as we try to meet that need that, that he's revealed to us in the city of Elgin and beyond. So again, picking up in verse four, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So I want to go through, obviously, first of all, there's several great things I see in that, in that prayer. You know, as we look in, in verse uh, 5, he talks about, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God. He's following that same pattern that Pastor Jason talked to us about, about praying to God, first recognizing and approaching God with reverence and understanding that God is the king of all. He is the, the maker of the world, and through his son, Jesus Christ, we have relationship with him. We see that he talks about the confession of sins, not only his sins, but of the family. He prays and comes to God recognizing that we are broken and that we need a savior and we need forgiveness. I think very importantly, he remembers God's promises and calls those out. And I think we need to, as we look at moving forward with God's building project, again, whether it's the physical building or the programs we have, we need to cling to God's promises, especially how wonderful it is that we know throughout the Bible that even though God's people continually fall away from him, God always says, come back to me. And if you'll come back and obey his commands, then he will bless us, he will, uh, he will honor those, those promises, and he will use us toward his purposes. And then finally, asking for provision, as he gets to in the end there, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. So I think this is interesting because uh, this is where some of the provision comes from. And, and I want to ask, how many of you have a cupbearer in your house? Any of you? I think I have one. So we'll, we'll see what, what a cupbearer is, and, and you'll see how this works out. God had let Nehemiah be in a very prominent and influential position. He was the king's cupbearer which is not just a, a, a butler or a servant. The cupbearer was actually a trusted advisor because the cupbearer, one of their responsibilities was to make sure that the king wasn't poisoned either through food or drink, and so they had to keep a close eye on food and drink and make sure no one put something in it. And on occasion, they were called on to first taste and eat or drink of that cup so that if someone had slipped through, 
then the cupbearer sort of took the hit for the king. And so it was uh, someone you wanted, I guess it was someone you really trusted that you wanted to have there, but maybe someone that you weren't going to be that disappointed if they left you one day early. I, I don't know. But nonetheless, that's a very interesting role that Nehemiah was in. And so as he looks at uh, God's direction in this this uh, commitment he has to rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, we see that God had put him in a place to ask for that provision, and we'll see that he was able to use Nehemiah to bring to the attention of the king the, the need and the desire he had to rebuild Jerusalem, and he also moved in the king's heart to allow not only for safe passage of Nehemiah to Jerusalem, he provided letters of, of travel that would make it where he could go through the different provinces safely, he also allowed for Nehemiah to use materials from the king's forest so that he have wood for rebuilding the gates and for the, the walls and the things that they needed wood for. And so it was more than just, yes, you can go. It was provision. This is that sort of thing that Jason has talked about, Pastor Jason has talked about, that God will often provide provision through blessings and through burden. Well, this is certainly one of those blessings. They were allowed to use some of the materials that were available uh, from the king to accomplish the task he had laid out. Uh, the reason that I think I have a cupbearer is because I noticed that every time I grill steaks, my daughter Leah always says, let me taste it to make sure it's not poisonous. So it's, 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 she's, she's giving that way, so she always wants me to cut off a little piece of the steak to make sure that it's uh, not poisonous just for my safety and those of the rest of the family. So you may have a cupbearer in your home and, and not even know it, and certainly Leah has a, a lot of, of a position of influence and prominence in, in our house, and so I'm very blessed to have the family that I have. But nonetheless, as we see... Uh, that provision, I think that fits very well with the situation that we're facing as we're looking at building uh, our building program and potentially soon or in God's timing especially to move our, our church location to the 18 acres. Okay, so as we, as we think about that process, and again, I said that Nehemiah was in a unique position because of his relationship with the king. And so King Artaxerxes was the, the king of Persia at that time and allowed for him to move forward. And that safe passage, uh, we tell us if we read through the verses, we see that he was able to get there and that that was very helpful and it, it, it greatly enabled him to move forward with building the walls of Jerusalem. But what we find out also is that not everyone was as supported or excited about this moving forward. And so uh, let's read in, in Nehemiah 2, uh, verse 10. You can see here that uh, not everyone was excited. In fact, the enemies of God's people we'll see, uh, took issue with that. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, heard about the fact that, that uh, Nehemiah was going to rebuild the, the walls and the king had provided for safe passage, when they heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I think it's interesting, as we often see the enemies of God's people and God's work, it's not always something that even makes sense. I mean, the fact that they were concerned and, 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 and disturbed, not about resources being used, about something being taken from them. Their concern was that God's people were going to have someone looking after their welfare. And so it's not always that clear when the enemy is attacking, but it's always that real. Certainly the enemy is looking for ways to discourage us from acting uh, toward building God's plan. And in, if we read further in the, into the text, we will find out that indeed these enemies of the Israelites didn't just stop it being disturbed. They actually plotted against the rebuilding of the wall, and they did several things to try to discourage, distract, and or disrupt that process so that the wall couldn't be built. And we see God's hand in providing guidance through that process, and so they were effective. Uh, I take that because the reason I bring this up is we here at Elgin, as we've seen the need amongst God's people, and we've determined that one of the ways that we can 
meet that need is through building a new building on the 18 acres. And undoubtedly, God's, uh, the enemy of God's people, Satan, is already plotting and making plans against our efforts to rebuild that. And so we need to make sure that we're recognizing the battles not just amongst people in flesh and blood. It's not just a matter of making sure that we get the right permits and plans and all those things together, but it's also one spiritual. As we see from Ephesians, if you'll pull on the screen, Ephesians six twelve, Paul writes to Ephesus that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So we need to recognize that just as the enemy of God's people in our story of Nehemiah, that they will work to try to disrupt God's plans, the same will be true for us. Satan will not be happy that First Baptist Elgin is seeking God and that we're making commitments that wherever God leads, we'll follow. And however God has us to move forward, that we're on board with that. He's going to try to disrupt those plans. He's going to try to distract us from what we need to be focusing on. And he's going to try to derail the, the issues and dislodge our plans so that we're not successful. And so I will say that the, uh, the, the observation that I should have shared with us is that every family needs to be praying for, uh, so the free, so every family needs to fight in prayer. We need to recognize that this is not just a building project that we have, but it starts with prayer, just like Nehemiah started his effort on his knees, praying fervently to God. And so we as families and as a church family need to pray fervently in this battle. And make no mistake, it is a battle, so don't be, don't be fooled. Our second observation, every family needs to work and serve. Uh, Nehemiah, as we would see as he gets permission from the king to go, he makes his way to Jerusalem, and before he meets with the Israelites and with the, the, the priests and the officials, he instead goes at night and surveys the wall to determine what the needs are. He sees what the challenges are, how, how broken down it is, and as, as I sort of think of it, he did what Pastor Jason might refer to as identified the giants in, in the promised land. He saw those challenges that were there, and, and then he developed a plan to move forward to begin building. And so as he saw the poor condition and the challenges, uh, he then was able to ready to move ahead. And we see that he approached that in a way I think that also will provide some, uh, some enlightenment as how we might approach that. Because this was a monumental undertaking. The wall around Jerusalem uh, at that time, from best I can tell, was about four and a half miles long. Uh, there were ten gates. Uh, all of them were in disrepair, some of them much more so than others. But there was a lot of work to be done, and so we see that um, in order to accomplish that, we see uh, throughout chapter th- 3 of Nehemiah, he details the different families that did the different things. And, and before we, we read a verse, I'm going to pick a few just as going along to look at what that looked like, and then we'll read uh, Nehemiah 3.23 to get another example of what that might look, look like for us. But if we look at the builders of the walls being laid out, uh, first of all, there's a lot of names in here that are Hebrew names that are tough to, to utilize. And when I lived in, in Bryan College Station, there was a guy on the radio who every time he would be talking about some news story where some name came up that he couldn't pronounce very well, he would just insert Brown, Mr. or Mrs. Brown. So I thought about doing that, but I thought it would probably be more, more appropriate for me either to struggle through these names or maybe I'll just throw in a, a Harkins or a, or a Carter or a Smith or somebody like that to kind of make it a little more real. But as, as we look in Chapter 3, the builders of the wall uh, were many, and you see that all the families... Uh, got involved here. Uh, Elisahib, the, the high priest and his fellow priest, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. So we see that in verse 1, one of the gates, the sheep gate, was rebuilt. We see in verse 3, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah. And we see as we go along that there was a, a gate, the Jeshana gate, in, chap, in verse 6. 
Uh, as you go along also, we'll notice that this, the lengths of these walls that different families or groups or communities identified and said, we're going to take care of this section, they varied. Some of them were fairly short. Some of it seems were, were much shorter than others. Others had pretty monumental undertaking. I know there's one that at least had like 1,500 yards that, that they took into account as well as the gate. And so we see that a number of people had uh, taken uh, different levels of commitment and, and, and opportunity and, re- and responsibility for. In verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zoanias. So we see some residents, some communities that are involved there as, as well. Uh, verse 14, the dung gate was repaired by Malachijah, son of Rechab. And recognizing that not all things were equally costly, not all things were equally prestigious either, but all of them had to be, had to be built and, and refurbished. The fountain gate, again, there were ten gates altogether that were built, and these ranged in, in height and size, but as I can tell, about four and a half miles of wall, uh, ten gates. The wall typically was about 15 feet wide. There are probably some discrepancies there because the wall was built over a number of years, uh, and in some cases, I think 15 feet high and more, and certainly some of the gates were as much as, as 70 to 100 feet high. So there was a pretty major undertaking that occurred. Oh, by the way, I don't know if, if Pastor Jason suggested this set of verses for me to talk about today has anything to do with this, but they accomplished this building project in 52 days. So I'm just saying, I don't know if Pastor Jason is going to come back and expect us to have the walls well underway, but one thing I'm thinking about after he sent the picture and talked about those folks bringing the 12,000 bricks I'm bringing a brick next Sunday, and I thought it would be kind of neat if we have a little brick wall somewhere, so I don't know if that interferes with the safety issues, but I'm bringing a brick next Sunday to symbolize that commitment to building that, that, that building, that church, and if we need to bring bricks from home or find them, I think we do that to meet God's needs, so I encourage you to, to bring a brick next Sunday. Pastor Jason may not appreciate that, but he'll definitely take notice. So we see then, as, as we're looking along here going further, uh, the various lengths of gate and the types of gate. But in verse 23, we'll see an example. Uh, after talking in 22 about some of the priest building, we see that beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azirah, son of Masiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. The reason I wanted to highlight that and, and bring that up on the screen is that as we see what happened is a lot of times people served and helped where they live, where God had put them. Some people took over, you know, from other regions came in to help build. Some simply worked on the section of wall in front of their house or the gate near their house. And so I think that's also very applicable to what we're going to see here. I think most important, it's interesting and useful to see that the people didn't wait for the city to be restored to start serving. They didn't wait for the wall to be finished to start serving. They immediately got in and got their hands dirty. They jumped in and said, okay, what can I do? I'm going to build at least the wall near my house. I'm going to do the gate. I'm going to do what I can do to make sure that that happens. Well, we also have opportunities to build our new church. Again, both the new building as well as the, as the, uh, the programs that we have and, and the, uh, the, the missions that we have, the mission uh, ministry programs that we have. So we shouldn't sit on the sidelines much as these people didn't sit on the sidelines. We need to get involved. We need to make sure that we get our hands dirty. Uh, nor should we wait until the building is finished. Um, as you looked at those pictures that we've seen, the renderings that were uh, put up of the sanctuary, of the building outside, and looking at the different classrooms, how many of you, either then or maybe when we were out at the land, how many of you envisioned those buildings full of us, full of people, full of the kids, full of the different ministries? I certainly did, yes. So I, I even have my chair picked out in the sanctuary. I can show you which one it is later. Uh, no name tags will be put on there. It'll be... First come, first serve, as always, I'm sure. 
But the point I make is we've been given a vision. We've been given uh, a, an opportunity to really meet the needs of Elgin as we understand them. And we don't have to wait till we get the new building. In fact, I would argue that we can't wait until the new building is here because we need to make sure that we have those ministries expanding and growing now so that when we make that transition to the new building, we move it in a way that's very efficient and effective and we can restore the house of God, if you will, in that role. Also, as we get more people involved now, that actually helps us to get to that point of realizing that building. That brings us more families that can, that can pitch in and build a part of that wall. So I encourage us to find ways to, to be involved, and I encourage you to prayerfully consider what ministries you might be involved in at our church now. There's lots of opportunities, and so I can imagine that you might be plugged in and wanting to help out either with perhaps the, the youth ministry. There's a children's ministry actually going on right now. We have the children's church. There's always need for that. Maybe it's helping with the youth on Wednesday night, a lot of need there. Or maybe it's cooking on Wednesday night. You know, some of us have cooking skills, some of us don't, uh, but most of us can follow instructions. So find a way there that you may be able to, to do that. Maybe where God has placed you and the calling he has for you is outreach outside of the church walls. Maybe it's something like what we're doing with Elgin Elementary. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to be a part of changing a child's life by involved, being involved in that or finding ways to, to, be, to improve that effectiveness. Or maybe there's new ways that we haven't even thought of. There may be ministries out there that we aren't even aware of yet that you can champion, that you can find new ways to spread God's word or meet those needs. And so just as the families have, uh, have excuse me, just as families and individuals identified sections of that wall, as we see in the, in the text of Nehemiah, we need to identify a ministry to serve in that fits how God has made each of us and blessed each of us. And so some people, it's pretty obvious, you have people that are very gifted with, with children, and, and maybe children's ministry makes a lot of sense there. Uh, there's also there's others who have other blessings, and I encourage you to pray and find how God would have you to be plugged in in that, in that way. Our third observation, uh, every family needs to give. Uh, as we talked about, as I was going through the families that built the wall, it becomes pretty obvious that no two sections of the wall of Jerusalem were identical. They were built over a number of years. Some of them were much taller, some were much wide, uh, longer, some were uh, had gates that were more elaborate. Some gates were well fortified. So depending on what, w- what was occurring there and how bad the disrepair is, different amounts of effort were, were needed. And so some of those gates were obviously, or some of those sections of wall were more prestigious than others. Uh, somehow, you know, the sheep gate where the, the lamb would be brought in for, for sacrifice seems to me to be more prestigious than maybe the dung gate. I have a feeling I would be assigned the dung gate. That's, that's because I work for the Environmental Commission, and, and it's a waste issue. So nonetheless, I'm sure each of us will find a way to plug in and be uh, able to make a contribution there. So in this case, from Nehemiah, we know that each family wasn't asked to give the same amount. They basically were asked to make the same commitment, the same sacrifice, though, and that same will likely be true for us. We're going to each have to identify and pray and seek God to determine what makes sense for us so that we can make that sacrifice and be a part of crossing over campaign and building the funds for the new building. And so as we think about that, I encourage you to, to pray, with God, pray to God and to seek Him and to realize that part of what that provision that we're going to be asking for, that we've been asking for and continue to ask for, will come, as Pastor Jason has talked about, through blessing and burden. And some of those things... Maybe the burden part may be deciding to cut back. You know, maybe it's a meal out a week that you don't have. Maybe it's a, a trip a week to Starbucks or Sonic or wherever, you're, wherever you like to go. Maybe you can, you can squirrel away those dollars, and those small amounts add up and make a difference over time. Um, I think that it's also important that we think creatively 
There may be other ways you can contribute financially or otherwise. One of the things that uh, I have been uh, led toward and, and am excited about is the fact that if you look at that piece of property when we're out there, how many of you made the trip out to the, to the land? Okay, great. So when you look out there, what do you notice besides it being wonderful to see the kids running and playing out there in the field? The trees are pretty limited, right? Well, I'm fortunate. One of the blessings that I have is we have some land that we bought that has a lot of trees. And so I've been identifying some trees that we can transplant out to that building, that land site. And so I'm trying to prune those and make sure that those are going to be healthy trees so that we can transplant those out to the, to the site. And it's kind of exciting to think about that tree, hopefully, or those trees, hopefully, will be there and will be able to, in some way, add to the beauty of God's building that he has in, in mind for us to, to build. And so I encourage you to think about other ways that you may also be able to contribute and, and move toward making the building a success and a reality. So we talked about the burden side, you know, cutting back here and there to try to make that go. Well, there's also, we hope, much as Nehemiah got provision through blessing where King Artaxerxes allowed him to use the king's forest, some of you may be coming into blessings where maybe the king allows you to use his forest, whatever that means. I think it's probably along the lines of you win the lottery, but you never bought a lottery ticket. You know, something like that happens. You come into that more realistically, maybe, as you get a raise. You come into some additional funds. Uh, I encourage you to pray about giving that or a portion of that to the building campaign to help make that real. So I'm praying that God will bless us and will provide those opportunities and understanding of what burdens to take on, but also that he will increase us through blessing that we can then use that to uh, improve and increase the amount of money we have available to begin the building process. So I will sort of uh, put a, a, a extra, excuse me, a, a period mark on that. Every family needs to be a part of the blessing and the burden because you don't want to miss that opportunity to be a part of it because God doesn't need us to build the building. God doesn't need us to, I mean, he could build that on his own. He built the world on his own. And so he doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants us to be a part of that process. He wants that relationship with us. So I encourage you to pray about what does that look like for me? What does God have in mind for me so that you don't miss out on that blessing so that as people look back on that new building, they'll know that the people of First Baptist Church of Elgin were faithful, that they said, I'll trust Jesus, I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to faithfully pursue his goals. And so I encourage you to think about that and make sure you find the places that you can plug yourself in, not only in the financing of that, but also in the, uh, the, the ministries of the church. So I'll wrap up with application. Our first application, commit to pray for the church. Uh, that's hopefully relatively easy. Hopefully that's something you're already doing. I encourage you as individuals to pray daily, at least, for the church. As a family, maybe pray once a week. Maybe designate a time each week where you pray for the church, not just about the finances of it, but about the, the ministries of, that, of the church and how we can continue to grow so that we reach the people of Elgin and that the transition to the new building is one that happens in God's time and happens in a way that, that it is obvious that his hand was involved and that he be glorified. Uh, the second application, start serving now. So there's lots of need. There's tons of things that can be done. Uh, just ask, speak up, or don't say no when somebody asks you. And then in all seriousness, look for places to plug in because God has created each of us. We're a very diverse family. And just as we're each going to have different levels of financial commitment that we're going to make to the building process, we each have different unique characteristics that can be used in the ministry. So I encourage us to find ways to get plugged in to the ministry. And then finally, pray about your family's part financially. Uh, I encourage you to, to pray about that, think about how you can contribute to that, and identify what section of the wall are you going to, are you going to claim responsibility for, which chair are you going to claim in the sanctuary, 
what is your role going to be? What brick are you going to bring? So I encourage us each to make sure that we're a part of God's blessing and that we're a part of the plan that he has laid out. So with that, uh, I'd like to close us in prayer for this part, and then we'll let Pastor Allen come up and do the offering. But if you would, pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your word and your example. I thank you that you've called us to be faithful to follow you, Lord, and I just pray that this effort that, that we've undertaken might be the start of a great thing for you, Lord, that you might use the faithfulness of this church to not only build a building in Elgin, but to use this to set examples to others. Just as Pastor Jason is lifting up men in Uganda, I pray that your efforts through this church might lift up other churches, that might lift up others to seek you and to have faith and trust in you, Lord. May we be known as a people who trust you and love you. Uh, Bless this time and and bless the things that we're developing, Lord, for you. Help us to stay on track and to stay united. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Allen.